Let's now open God's Word together, and we'll read this afternoon from Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 to 16, the text being taken from 13 to 16. Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 1, seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice. And be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then we read from the text, verse 13 to 16, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Dear brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, our precious Lord and Saviour, how do you live your life? Can people see that you belong to Jesus Christ in your life? Matthew chapter 5, Jesus has just started his ministry He's preaching throughout Galilee, and he ends up coming to this mountain, going up on the mountainside. Crowds came to listen to him, and his message is quite the message. Jesus starts by declaring in his Sermon on the Mount that those are blessed or happy, rejoicing, who are poor in spirit, mourn over sin. 
humbly seek to do what pleases him. They're sufficiently different than the world if they act that way. But that also makes them vulnerable to persecution. And blessed are you when people persecute you, say evil things against you, especially when it's falsely for my sake. In the world of Jesus' day, there were many people who stood against what Jesus taught. We think particularly of the leaders of the church of that time, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they stood opposed to what Jesus said. And how would those people that were opposed by the Pharisees stand in such a world where the leaders went against them? Wouldn't it be best to go into hiding? Wouldn't it be best to serve God secretly? Wouldn't it be best not to show too much that you are a Christian? The world of that day was different than the world of today, but the world of today is heading in that very direction too, where the world more and more is persecuting the church of God. All of us have to stand up for our faith, and one day it will happen to all of us as persecutions on the rise, that we too will be opposed for our faith. Should we go into hiding? Should we pretend that we're not really serving God and secretly keep serving him in our house? Should we serve him behind closed doors? Our text talks about the responsibility that we as Christians have. And it gives us a clear resounding no. You are salt. You are lights. And let's look at that this afternoon. You are salt and light in this world. Therefore, let your salt preserve the world and let your light shine in the world. So first of all, let your salt preserve the world. Verse 13 says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the salt of the earth. Notice that these words are not a promise. You will be salt. They're not a command. Be salt. Rather, they are a statement of fact. You are salt. Whether you like it or not. When you're in Jesus Christ, grafted to him, you are salt and you are light. It's good to notice what the use of salt was in the day of Christ and then later also what the use of light was in the day of Christ. Salt was very cheap, yet very useful. The days of Jesus, soldiers of that day were usually paid some money and some salt because it was so useful and so cheap. It was easy to give them salt that they could simply use that. Salt was readily available. Salt, of course, is very small. And salt seems rather insignificant. And so many Christians in the world can often feel that way as well. We feel so limited We sometimes feel we're so few, even in a large congregation. Compared to the people of the world, we are few. And how can we really do anything in society then? We feel powerless in a power-mad society. 
Jesus wants to let you know that you are immensely useful, just like salt. You are salt. You are immensely useful, even if you don't look useful. But notice that Jesus also says you are the salt of the world or the salt of the earth. As followers of Christ, our influence is very broad. We make a difference as Christians here on the earth, not just to those close to us, but the earth, the whole world, is influenced by the presence of Christians. It's further helpful also to note the uses of salt in the time of Christ, for that certainly links also into what it means to be salt. And one of the first uses we need to look at is that it was used as a preservative, something I think many of us are very familiar with. In South Africa, from which some of you also come, there's a meat called biltong. That's, cut, that's meat cut up into strips, dried out, and then you add salt to it. That salt makes the meat last a long time. In fact, it's the way that you can go on long journeys. Without the salt, the meat would go off, but with the salt, that meat will last a long time. In a similar way, the world around us also goes off and starts smelling, as it were. It rots more and more. Why? Because humans are conceived and born in sin. And humans left to themselves will only head further in their depravity. A pig will return to swallowing in the mud. And sin affects every area of life. But you and I are salt, preserving society to help it to stay somewhat sound. There are many examples that could be mentioned here. Examples of how you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, actually preserve our society in certain ways. We can encourage and show what marriage looks like by having strong marriages. We seek to raise our children in the fear of the Lord. This afternoon we could witness two baptisms with the encouragement also to raise our children in the fear of the Lord. And the raising of our children too can be an amazing thing to society. They look at us and say, wow, you're so different. We preserve preserve our society from the worst. We also can seek to say no to the worst of sins in society. When people are falling for those things, we say no to them. In fact, it's closely linked to another use of salt in the days of Jesus. Salt was also used for hygienic purposes. It's interesting that they rubbed salt, the Israelites rubbed salt on their babies, possibly to harden their skin, but more likely for hygienic purposes, to stop infections. Salt was also sometimes put on the ground of enemies to make that ground infertile. Judges 9 verse 45 is an example. Salt kills germs and salt Stops things from growing, whether good or bad. When you have an infection on your skin, you may realize that. You put your hand in salt water and it pulls that infection out slowly but surely. In a similar way, as followers of Jesus Christ, 
We can often stop the worst kinds of sins in society. We can bring healing to society, change to society. There was once a Christian man who lived in a large city in the, in the United States of America. And this man had several children, but he lived in a bad part of town. And so he kept his children indoors. They ended up playing computer games, reading, but doing things indoors, which made them overweight. They went to the family doctor. The doctor advised that the children need to have sound meals, healthy meals every day. But there was another suggestion as well, namely that the children had to play outside at least a half hour every day. The father said, no, I can't do that. We live on a dangerous street. There are drug dealers on the street. There are prostitutes living around the corner. There are drunkards. I can't send my children outside. But the doctor insisted, no, send your children outside. But instead, go out with them, whether you or your wife. Go out with them as they play outside on the street. They need to get fresh air. They need to go outside. The father didn't like the idea at first, but went home, discussed it with his wife, and they decided to try it anyway. And so they tried it every day. And not just did the children receive their exercise and started to lose weight, but a much better thing happened in that family and in that society. The street started to become cleaner. The drug dealers and drunkards disappeared as they saw the children playing with their parents watching on the street. The street was redeemed. Our very presence as Christians, as followers of Christ, can stop the worst decay in society and bring healing and change. We don't need large numbers for this. We don't need lots of knowledge for this. It's good to have knowledge. But those things are not necessary to have an influence of people. Often we can influence them in very small ways. Being faithful and hardworking in our job. That others around us also work harder because they see us working hard. But not swearing. Others also often stop swearing. By showing respect for all other human beings. People look at that and also start showing respect. And in this way, we may bring healing in little ways. There were many more uses of salt in the time of Jesus. One other was seasoning, probably the most common use of salt today. We put it on our food to make it taste better. As followers of Christ, we do not dull the joy in society. We do not cause more people to become depressed, as some would say. As true followers of Christ... We need to show with our lives that we are different, yes. But in this way, we show both the holiness of God and the joy of faith. These two things need to become clear in our lives. And we need to grow in showing this. 
We need to give a better taste to society by the things that we do and say. In Colossians 4 verse 6, it applies this particular form or this particular use of salt to speaking. Let your speech be always seasoned with salt. This really means that we don't talk unwholesome things, but to seek to use our conversations, our mouths to build others up. Just like a little, too little salt on our food means that you can't taste the salt and the food doesn't have so much taste. So we do need to speak sufficiently enough that others get a picture of what it means to live out of the joy of faith. On the other hand, just too much salt makes our food all taste like salt. When we talk too much, this can also put people off. But the basic truth remains this. Our words, our actions as those in Christ give more meaning and purpose to the lives of others. We help society by our very presence, by our words, by our actions, by who we are. There's one final use of salt that may be worthwhile looking at. Leviticus 2 verse 13 speaks of the salt of the covenant. And in fact, many Old Testament sacrifices had salt on them as a symbol of faithfulness or trustworthiness. As followers of Christ, we must seek in everything to be faithful to the Lord and trustworthy. We want to be honest, faithful in our work. Christ has died for us so that we want to submit to him as Lord and faithfully follow him in every area of life. Just like Joseph before Pharaoh was honest and faithful in such a way that Joseph became second in command. Just like Daniel in the courts of Nebuchadnezzar and Darius, he was raised to a high position. He was trusted by these kings for his faithfulness. Just like John the Baptist, despite the fact that he spoke out against Herod Antipas, Herod trusted what he said. He often asked for his advice. Christians are different. And to the world, sometimes annoyingly so. But in the end, people trust them. They trust them to tell the truth. It may have happened to you too in the workplace. If you work a lot with unbelievers, that the unbelievers get really annoyed at you. Man, you're a goody-goody two-shoes, always doing that thing, always doing, never doing something wrong. But when there's trouble in their life, when there are hardships that come their way, so often you will be the one that they turn to in their hour of need. Who do they trust? Those that are trustworthy. And so they so easily confide in the Christians. They ask you what you would do in such a situation. They trust you to help them. Our text says that if we stop having such functions of salt, we're no longer real followers of Jesus Christ. 
We become useless, good for nothing, to be trampled in the streets. Now, to understand that phrase in our text, it's good to understand that salt in the time of Jesus had many impurities in it as well. And sometimes it happened that all the salt would leach out and all that you're left with is, are the impurities. doesn't have any function anymore. You might as well throw it out. It's no longer salt. It no longer seasons. And those words form a warning for you and I as Christians. When we stop living out our faith, stop being a preserver, faithfully seasoning society, with the grace that we know in Christ, we also become useless. We lose our Christian identity. Remember, you are salt. That's who you are. In Christ Jesus, you have been saved. And that makes you look different. In John 17, Jesus prays for us not to be taken out of the world, but to be preserved from the evil one. So often we can be scared of the world. We worry about the world, that the world will influence us. But we do need to live in the world. And we do need to be of influence in the world. At the end of the day, it really comes down to understanding and knowing and loving the gospel. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal saviour? Do you love him? Do you want to follow him with the rest of your life? Or are you just here out of custom, out of superstition? Do you know that Christ died for you? To bring you into his eternal kingdom? To live with him forever? Do you know the joy of faith? The joy of belonging to Jesus Christ? Body and soul in life and death? And do you therefore faithfully read your Bible? faithfully attend the worship services, that you may be constantly reminded of the truths of God's word, strongly anchored into Jesus Christ, grafted into the vine. Oh, brothers and sisters, you are the salt of the earth. Now live as salt, but you are also light. You are salt and light. Therefore, let your light shine in the world. And that is then the second point. The second picture from daily life that Jesus seeks to give is that of light. In verse 14a we read, You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Now it's interesting that Jesus also calls himself the light of the world. John 8 verse 12. He comes to people living in darkness to bring them great lights. And now, to those that believe in Jesus Christ, all followers of Jesus Christ, those grafted into Jesus Christ, you also have light. You also are the light of the world. They are the people that fight against moral darkness, seeking to rid this world of that moral darkness, the deeds of darkness. To walk more and more in the light, as Ephesians 5 makes clear. Now, most of you would have seen at night, especially if you're in the countryside where it's pitch black, 
what a torch can do in that darkness. When you shine a torch into that darkness, it may, you can see that from very far away. And it will naturally turn people who are in the area towards that light. Some may get annoyed. Man, turn that light off. Others may look and say, thank you, that helps me to see. But they will be drawn to that light. And that's also what it is for us as people living with the light in a world of darkness. People will look to the light. Some with annoyance and contempt, but others with open hearts. And in our text, Jesus then gives two pictures, two concepts, two things to explain the concept of light a little bit more. The first one is that of a city built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Now, cities are places of light. And if a city is on a hill, that light spreads a long way into the countryside. At night, that light will penetrate a long way into the darkness of the whole surrounding countryside. Now, in the time of Jesus, there were quite a few cities that were built on a hill. You can think of Hebron, you can think of Dan. But there are a few cities like the city of Jerusalem, built on hills, built mostly on Mount Zion, but also on Mount Moriah, as the temple was founded there. It may be that Jesus had that in mind as he spoke about the city built on a hill. Or it may be that those listening would have thought of Jerusalem as a picture for them to realize this truth. Jerusalem was central to their faith. That's where the temple was. That's where they worshipped God. But the irony is that Jesus says that he is that city. And that he is central to their lives. And then also that they are that city that cannot be hidden. I am the light of the world and you are the light of the world. You will bring darkness, the darkness of this world. You will bring light into that darkness if you believe in me. There was a village in Papua New Guinea that was situated in a valley. It was the village of Ikoro. Most people in the community considered that a place of darkness. They believed there was a lot of witchcraft in that valley. The church decided to move its building on top of a mountain, Beretete. And now it's no longer in a valley hidden away, but on a hill for all to see. Out of the darkness, shining the light into the community. And that is also what we are to do as the church of God. To let our light shine. But Jesus also wants to bring a second illustration there. And he talks there about lights or oil lamps that need to be seen. Now the picture there is rather silly, dumb. Putting an oil lamp under a bowl or under a bed, it's a very dumb thing to do in Jesus' time. You could set fire to it. But Jesus is not highlighting the danger of the situation. 
He wants simply to point to the fact that it will stop the light from being useful. A light needs to be on a stand in the center of the room that its light can spread out throughout the room. After all, an oil lamp is lit that the people in the house can see to see what they are doing. Everyone in the house needs to be able to see what they do. And so the lamp is placed in the center. The point of a light is that it shines and attracts attention and helps us to see. Now it's important to note one more thing about a light. A light does not so much attract attention to itself as much as it allows people to see things clearly. Now that's true for a Christian as well. It's not that we should always make ourselves as obvious as possible. Go out of our way to make people see me, to see us. That would be much like what the Pharisees did. Look at me praying. Look at me fasting. Now Christians are called to be humble, faithful, diligent servants of God. A Christian doesn't call attention to himself but by very nature, does bring light into a dark world. The Christian will shine that light away from himself with the very purpose of attracting others to Jesus Christ. Christ brings out that truth in verse 16 as well of our text. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify God, your Father in heaven. The attention is not on the Christian, the light shiner, but on the Father in heaven who's glorified. He needs to be glorified. He needs to receive the glory. And our lives can help or hinder others from doing that. After all, we carry his name with us wherever we go. We are Christians. We do belong to Jesus Christ. We carry his name. We are salt. We are lights. Oh, brothers and sisters, let your light shine before men. Yes, are you living out your faith? Or do you still try to hide your faith? Worried what others might think of you? As teenagers, you may spend a lot of time with the people of this world at times. And sometimes what happens with teenagers is that others will call you holy two-shoes. But don't let that stop you from shining your light. Don't start hiding it. Let your light shine. Remember who you are. Remember the precious promises you have. And continue to shine as adults too, there may be many times when we're tempted not to live out our faith. Everyone in this world seems to pursue richer houses, nicer cars, spending more time with themselves. Oh, I want that too, we can so easily think. Is we could spend inordinate amounts of time in pursuing worldly possessions. That the kingdom of God is something on the sidelines. Often when hardships hit, 
The world will respond with fear, with worry. They want that hard thing to go away as quickly as possible, for life to be as comfortable as possible in the hardship. It's all about me, me, me. But when hardships come, are we willing and ready to be different? When hardships come, do we see them as opportunities to share, to really be a light, to really be salt, to really be different? For us personally to be sanctified, but for God to be glorified in us and through us, that men may see our good works and glorify the Father in heaven? Oh, brothers and sisters, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men. It may sometimes be annoying to them. It may sometimes make them hate you and persecute you. But how can you not live for God? This God who sent his one and only son to die for the likes of you. You are a light. Don't hide that fact. And living like that can mean that others also can come to praise the Father in heaven. That's the purpose of life, to glorify God in everything. That they too may become followers of our Lord and Saviour. Our light needs to shine that others are not left in that horrible darkness, the darkness of this world, but can also see the light of life and live. That others can come to know Jesus Christ too. The one who takes the darkness away and graciously walk in his light. As 1 Peter 2 verse 12 says so beautifully, Live such good lives among the pagans that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You are the salt of the world. Brothers and sisters, you are the light of the world. Come, let's live as salt and light, that many more may become salt and light. And the name of our precious God and Savior is glorified. Amen.